Gaming NBS episode 21212. <laughs> Maps and mapping coming to you Wednesday, October 10th, 2018. Welcome to Gaming and BS, a tabletop RPG podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Sean. And I'm Brett. Hey, folks. How you doing? Glad to have you all here. Brett has been frolicking in the woods again this weekend. A little bit, although it was damp and cold, so the frolicking was down to minimal. Yeah, it was kind of kind of crappy this weekend here in Wisconsin. Yeah, it's a, it's youth hunt, so my youngest son and I were out. Um, you were hunting youths? Yes, which is trickier than you think it would be. <laughs> And AJ just, he's only 12, so he runs. He does not have 30 years of honed eyesight to go, that's a deer. Look at that. See that thing? He can't find it. Oh. One of the biggest bucks I've ever seen in my time in the woods was 30 yards away from him, and he could not see it. I'm like, how do you not see this? Wow. So in a trial of patience to not scream at your son, what the fuck is wrong with you? How can you not see the deer? Right. You just you lose your brain and you want to say horrible things because you're like, this is so obvious. And you're like, wow, all this is really rude. This is my son. You look down at him. He looks at you like, Dad, I'm trying. You're like, yep, I know, son. It's okay. It's totally fine. It's just going to walk away. And that's totally fine. It did. It just kind of ambled off. So was it a buck or a doe? Oh, it's fucking huge, dude. Really? It's a big buck. Yeah, it's a fucking monster. Oh, my God. It was huge. Eating bread up inside. (laughs) Oh, Jesus. (laughs) And the, the thing of it is, is because it's a youth hunt, it, um, and I can't, I can't carry a rifle. It's not my job. So I'm sitting there going, I, I could kill this thing. I could kill it like 16 ways from Sunday. I could close one eye and kill, I could hit it with a rock from here. My God. But so, uh, so youth hunt <coughs> is just under under a certain age, right? Yeah, it's under a certain age. Um, a gun season just for ah. kid, just for kids to kind of get the get them out and active. How long does it last? A weekend. Weekend. One or one weekend. Yep. This so do they, you have, do they have to buy a tag for that then? Of course. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I don't know. Do they get, do, is there a difference between doe and buck tags too? Not in Wisconsin. In, well, hang on a second. So in Wisconsin, there are doe and buck tags. When you buy one, you get, well, because Wisconsin has more deer than it knows what to do with, especially down by us. I have a fistful of them for my, of tags for myself and for AJ. So gotcha. Plenty gotcha. Of them. I didn't know how the youth went. A little bit different in, say, Upper Michigan and stuff where I hunt as well. But anyway, it was like, oh, my God. Like I said, it was kind of a, how do you not lose your mind on this child you love? I mean, like, oh, my God, it's right fucking there. Jesus Christ. But, uh, yeah, what are you going to do? Happens. We need a montage video of you training the young lad. Like, you'll, like. You could play the weird music and then you show Brett like <laughs> blindfolding him, holding like a deer 10 feet from him. And then somebody undoing the blindfold and saying, see, do you see this? And then nobody talks though. It's what all What happens is that video. you have this, you have this vision in your head. No, nobody cares about this. Why am I talking about this? Anyway, I don't know. You have this vision in your head of what a deer looks like, right? It's brown. No, it's not. What's in the woods in dappled light in the overcast sky, it's gray slash black, kind of whitish, maybe. Right. It's in the lee of a tree. It's just poking its head out in its front shoulder, and you can see it. It's thrashing a bush. You're like, hey, see, look, it's right there. He can't see it. First off, he's looking at something like six feet tall. So I'm like, no, dear, I'm like three, three feet high at the shoulder, son. Drop your eyes. Still can't see it. How do you, how can you not see that fucking thing? Are you kidding me? It's huge. It's right there. 
but it's basically gray on black with bits of white. <laughs> you know, it, it blends in perfectly. I just know what it looks like because I've been doing this for like 33 years. So I'm yeah, like, man, oh, that's a deer. It's right there. Yeah, you're 10th level, man. He's first. I know. This is why you don't take <laughs> first level adventures with you. <laughs> see how I Maddening. See how I brought it back, man? You did. It was all all said, though. I mean, apart from that frustration, it was cool. Got to hang out with my son, be outside. It was nice. It was a lot of fun. Maybe the young lad is not ranger. Maybe he is. I think he's more wizard. Yeah, wizard. He's a right? lot more. He's a lot more bookish. Yeah. Well, well. But he loves being outside, and it was fun. It was a damn good time. Well, that's good. It was. Like I said, it was just it's that moment you're like, are you kidding me? How who cannot see the blind people can see this deer? What is wrong? But hey, you know, it happens. What are you gonna what do? What are you gonna what are you gonna do? Punt on first down, keep them guessing. All right, what do we got? Uh no announcements for me that I'm well, I should probably speak on behalf of the website. If anybody gets this, um if they if they tune into the right feed, whatever that may be. Um, I, there's a mixed thing going on with the website. So there's some people like, Hey man, your episode hasn't dropped, blah, blah, blah. So yes, Sean dicked up the website, um, last week, but Sean got it back up and running just in time for just in time for iTunes, not to propagate the episode. Now I don't know. I don't know if what I did is affecting that. And or it's a coincidence that iTunes is not propagating the last episode. I have heard that iTunes for sure has had an issue, but I don't know if I've contributed to that issue as well. So if you're getting this, I mean, you're getting this, you're fine. Um, We've posted the RSS feed from our website. So if our website is up and our RSS feed is good, which it is, then there's no problems if you subscribe directly to that. That's the problem with third-party websites. Now, iTunes is the 500-pound gorilla, so everybody subscribes to their podcast through that, and other third parties scrape iTunes. So other podcatchers, they get their stuff from iTunes. So if iTunes doesn't propagate, there's a lot of episodes that fall through. Hopefully, they'll have that resolved and everything in timely fashion. I know there's been shows that have been submitted, and they never got listed in timely fashion because of iTunes. So when you're at a third party, you're at a third party's mercy. Now I am in the process of moving our website and hopefully without any issues or delay um, to make it easier to manage long-term because I'm tired of futzing around just like windows. I'm tired of screwing (laughs) around. So that I just have to do it in a way that makes it seamless, which just an FYI. And if you're hearing this episode from the back catalog, it is a moot point at this point. As I tell my network engineers when I walk in in the morning and something bad happened on the weekend, stop breaking my shit. So, Sean, stop breaking my shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, it's a long story, but nonetheless. So, that's all I got. All right. Well, let's see. Uh, da, 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 da. Next month, Game Ocon. Duh, if you've been listening to us, to <laughs> us for months. If you have, don't know hey. this by now, the hell's wrong with you? Pay attention. Evercon.org. There's a gaming convention that I run. It's in January. Evercon.org. You've heard that plenty. But Evercon.org is farther away and requires more planning at this point from all y'all. So I hope you uh, do show up. So We do have a taker for the Uber. 
Really? Who? Yep. Well, Edwin. Edwin, life and taking my life, my own hands, Nagy. All right. Yeah. Yep. So he's he's coming, and he gave me his flight details. So I'll be picking him up Wednesday, barring catastrophe. I'll try to make sure that he stays sober for you, Ed. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'll pick him. Up, I'll, I'll pick him up on a bike, or I think I could still get busted on a bike being drunk. Uh, you might be able to. I'll, I'll pick him up in a cab. Hi, I'm here to pick you up. Here's my car. Here's my it's, car. It's you yellow, son of a. It's a yellow cab, Sean. Nice. I told you I'd pick you up, but I've had a few. No. But anyways, uh, yeah. Are we good? Let's let's random encounter it up. Random encounter. <laughs> All right. You want to start? I can start. Go for it. So going to the Google Plus community and feedback on the last episode, which is 211, where we talked about Killer Dungeon, Killer Adventure, Jared Rasher comments. So um, Tuma Horrors is legal for Tier 3 Adventurers League characters. It appeared in the Tales from the Awning Portal hardcover. Correct, it did. I did not know it was legal. Well, so I think anything they publish is legal. Is legit? Yeah, but you just have to play. You just yeah, you just have to get find out what tier it's created for. Oh, okay. So I forgot about that. Thank you, Jared, for reminding us. I have been reading that. I think what I want to do is I own it, it's on my shelf. I I completely forgot what was in there. Jesus. I'm thinking of getting the uh I might over time splurge on Dwarven Forge just for Tuma Horrors. And running that as a set piece at cons. You know, Dwarven Forge, we've talked about, a little bit about this for minis. Maybe this is a different show. I think those type of things are wonderful set pieces. And if you have an adventure like that, like, I'm running this. I right. will master this adventure. Yes. And I'm going to have this kick-ass setup for it. That's cool. Right. Everything. Because it's very... Where are you standing? Where are you? Okay, you come to this. Here's oh, if what you it want looks the print, like. If you want the uh, printouts of what the hallway actually looks like and the clues and stuff, I have all that. Black and white or color? Black and white. They only, they only were available in black and white. Yes, but if you do in 5e. Oh, it has to be in color because kids who play 5e can't can't see black and white. Is that the problem? No, but Fucking there's things that today. are. Kids today. If you, there's descriptions that say there's a orange box, a blue box, and mm-hmm. a green box. Yeah. Yeah, well, if I'm going to do the whole thing, man, I'm not going to be short-stepping. Yeah, I won't help you then. Fine, do it on your own. Black and white. What is this guy about? I'm sorry. I thought I thought you were legit. Well, okay, keep going. I Whatever. made The thing is, is whether I do it 5E or first edition. You mean the right way or the wrong way? Okay, I got you. Wow. <laughs> See, people? See what happens after 200 episodes? True Brett comes out. I am so tired right now. Moving on. Uh, I haven't read it in depth, but from what I understand, there are a few places where insta-death traps do things like rolling initiative to see if players can move before they insta-death them. And there are a few places where it says if they just enter the room, they can't make any checks. But if they do X to interact with the environment, they can get an idea of how the room works with an investigate check. So I think, commenting on Jared here and the Tomb of Horrors 5th edition, I think Tomb of Horrors 5th edition is survivable. 
And it's not, it doesn't tell you what levels. Now he says tier three, but when you read the adventure in Tales from the Yawning Portal, it doesn't tell you. It just says high level characters. So I don't know if you get 10th level, 12th level, 15th level. I don't know what that is. Me neither. So, you know, you got a 15th level party. They may be able to walk through that stuff. I don't know. Moving on. Disgusting. I know, right? So there may not be a lot of modern, quote, your passive perception, notice this thing, end quote, going on. But if the DM describes something and you don't do anything to interact with the room in some way, it's probably still going to waylay you. It still looks like things presented as obvious puzzles still require the PCs to figure out the puzzle to get by them. However, it just blunts some of the, you never asked about this one specific thing, so you're dead moments. That's true. As far as how easy it is to kill PCs in 5th edition D&D, Brett's right about if you do their total hit points and damage in addition to the damage that takes them to zero, them being instantly dead. Yeah. Some other interactions that are important, however, are that any damage, once you are making death saves, is a failed death save. True. But I don't know how many... Brett, we talked, we brought this up on occasion. Have you ever downed a character and then gone over and just stepped on him? Yes. A lot? Or is it just, is it standard for you? Well, periodically. It depends depends on the nature of the combat. I mean, you know, channel, channel my Matt Colville, you know, the earth elemental stuff's on your head to make sure you're dead. Sure. Depending on what it is, if you were the fighter that was causing a shit ton of damage and you were fighting the ogre, yeah, the ogre rages on your body and, and turns it into pulp. Okay. All right. Well, Brett is one of those uh, uh, DMs. I don't know. Maybe I don't come across very often. <laughs> but you're, you are correct, though. Is it standard boilerplate for me? No. It would depend on the creature. Some creatures, um, it, like if, if they're feisty, it, feisting, facing an enemy barbarian, let's say, or something that rages or has uncontrollable anger or something like that, I could see that. Or even, <coughs> excuse me, something is... um. Simple-minded, if you will, as a kobold, or um, if there's a bizarre mixture of puddings or other non-intelligent things, like sorry, I just eat you. You know, it's just it's just what it does. Some monsters just start munching, and uh, that type of thing. But generally speaking, if they're fight, good God, I cannot speak. Fighting a band of kobolds, the kobolds don't go and stab the wizard when he's already down. Generally speaking, okay, got it. Uh, let's see. Um, Okay. Some other interactions that are important, however, are that any damage once you are making death. Okay. We already mentioned that anyone attacking someone that is incapacitated has advantage, but has to roll for the attack. But if they hit, it's considered a critical and a critical automatically causes two failed death saves. See, this is why I just, I never keep track of rules. Um, Finally, an effect that lowers maximum hit points is bad, not just because you can't heal above your new lower maximum, but because if your maximum is lowered to zero or lower, you just die. That's it. You are immune to having hit points, which is uh, inimical. What? To actually living. Which is you can't have. You can't be. That's a big word. I never. I don't know if I know that word. It's a good word. Inimical. Like it's not even, yeah. Huh. Sean's ignorance rings through. Oh, if you want to kill someone in FFG Star Wars, just throw them off a building on Coruscant or shoot them with vehicle weapons. Yep. 
Wounds don't kill people, crits kill people, and both of those circumstances wind up with plus 50 on the crit chart. Yeah, but when you try to use the ship's weapons to shoot somebody, your game master won't let you because he's a douche. Right, Sean? (laughs) (laughs) So that's all Mr. Mr. Douche has. Uh, Thank you, Jared Rasher. Oh, that's good. Actually, that's really good, Jared. I need to reread... I breezed I through. Too. I breezed yeah. through the two horrors in Yawning Portal. I have a copy of it, and I breezed through it, and uh, that's definitely worth looking at. And Sean, I love your idea, honestly, of making it a set piece because it would be an event for a convention. Say, hey, I'm going right. to run two horrors, five e. I got all this cool shit. Come on, let's play. Yeah. It would be a hoot. It would yeah. be a total blast to do. Yeah, that's what I think I'm going to do. And I may start out with just a two D, right? Start out two D, and then build my like. Then start ordering the crap because I got a feeling it's not going to be cheap. But well, I'll tell you what is would be handy in that path if you start doing it. You start with like you know pre generated like hand drawn or whatever it is you do. And once you get the hang of how it runs, then the cool stuff won't distract you. That would be right. my advice. Right, I agree. I'm with you because I've it's got we've talked about the ages past with gear at the table and sometimes you get too many props and different gadgets and widgets and what's it's at the table. It's suddenly incredibly distracting, even for the game master. So yeah. And I'm a squirrel all day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Me too. Sometimes <laughs> Jared, good stuff, man. Thank you. All right. Let's see. Sky Slayton has a suggestion. Uh, okay. So this episode is not updated yet for my podcast, but I have an idea for a killer adventure using two horrors. You make level 20 PCs, then start them at the entrance. Using a live, die, repeat model. Whenever a PC dies, they restart at the beginning. You switch them from having them do the thing in each room to smash cuts to the most recent room. The players learn the complex. Uh, their <laughs> they learn their complex level twenty PCs while also encountering and overcoming gotcha traps and two mores. Interesting, interesting. I like that idea, Sky. That's neat. Yeah, that's a that's interesting format. I don't know, you know, if I ran that as a set piece, if it would be, I probably have to. Excuse me, roll up quite a few PCs. and I've heard tales of um, old school gamers when they knew they were going into the Tomb of Horrors and they, the, you know, the rumors had started to circulate. And by the time we'd get, they'd be like, all right, I go find an army of hirelings and a herd of cattle. They drive oh, cows God. down the hallway. They would do crazy stuff like this. Guys I knew anyway. Anyway, <laughs> I knew guys that were crazy. Oh, crazy my- gamers. Go ahead, Brett. Read the next one. Oh, I'll read the next one. one. Oh, yeah. okay. <laughs> Getting ready. Laramie Wall comments on the description of things. Great episode. My contributions for what they're worth regarding different magic items. The new Hackmaster is pretty low magic. This includes magical healing. One resource you can purchase right out of the gate is Honey Brew, which is essentially mead with healing properties. Uh, each pint recovers 1d4 minus 2, minimum 0, to a max of 5 hit points in 24 hours. It's not a massive heal, but it can help recover. My group's party tends to do this as they make camp, have dinner, rest, etc. They even have a few pints relaxing with dinner. Yeah, that's not a bad idea. Also discussing healing bees and such, they are uncommon circumstances where modern medicine still uses leeches or maggots. I can vouch I've seen slash been a party to the use of both. See you next month, Laramie Wall. Laramie will be at Game Hogan, of course. Yes. Yeah. I have heard of and I have seen video of leeches and maggots being used in modern medicine. I have not seen it in person. I've only seen it like, you know, third hand, like through video. But interesting. Very interesting. Yeah, very interesting. All right. Over to you, sir. Mike P has a follow up email from a previous email. He had wrote us some time ago. 
a while back about a dilemma in one of his games regarding player agency and fast-forwarding play. Ah, yes, I recall this. I recall it. So I wasn't clear at the time, but I am the GM of the game in question. So he was the game master that we probably tore apart. I don't know. Did we? I don't know. Getting to the point, I decided not to gloss over the missed portion of the previous uh, previous session. The game in question here is Shadow of the Demon Lord. The remaining goal for that last session was to steal a boat. They're river bandits, but now they're living life on an island sea while the world goes to hell around them. An inland island. Inland sea while the world goes to hell around them. With a major block on trade due to plague and the resulting quarantine, there are ships ripe for the picking. So that's what I wanted to gloss over. The whole boat heist. I did mention the possibility of just breaking everything down to a few die rolls, using everyone's input to modify the rolls. Like one person had mentioned, but that would have been less fun considering the outcome. So this is what happened. They bluffed their way into the trade port. They bluffed their way out of two potential run-ins with the law. A major encounter happened that they ignored and left the authorities to deal with. Then they stole a rowboat, worked their way out to the blocked trade ships, committed grievous acts of banditry and villainy, fought off some mercenaries, and made off with a boat full of trade goods while the port burned, before that boat caught fire and nearly at the cost of their lives. If I had opted to just hand wave this part of the session we played, none of it would have played out the way it did. This was way better than you rolled a 10, a 6, and a 16. Okay, cool. You guys now have a boat full of goods. Thanks for taking me off the ledge. Well, I'll tell you, Mike, you know what's interesting? <clears throat> now that you've done this, if you're going to keep gaming with the same group and you're going to be the GM for this group, if anybody else in that group, um, that's how they like to roll. You know, other groups will tell you, let's hand wave that. Ah, I don't need to. Let's just get the boat. That sounds more interesting. Hey, this could be, uh, I don't want to deal with bluffing guards, blah, blah, blah. Some people don't like that. Your crew loves that shit. You can tell by the sheer volume of role playing that they got through and uh, the fact that it stuck with you with this really cool, even just bullet pointed list that you gave us of what happened. So, <coughs> excuse me, my advice to you and anybody else out there is if you find out a thing that your group likes, they like doing this type of gaming. There's no reason when that opportunity comes up, lean into it because they're going to have a heck of a good time and they're going to roll with it. So, and if they they do it, they go, yeah, well, that was fun. I kind of wish we could have glossed over it. Make a note and uh, fix that up next time around. But that sounds really cool, man. That's really good. Anything on your side, John? No. All right. So what do we got next? Saul writes in. Hey, guys, I must say I really liked your show. I'm still slowly finishing off listening to some of your old shows. Tomb of Horrors and other adventures like that were never part of my gaming history or present. I knew that they existed, but never bought them or or had a GM make one. One reason was that we didn't have a game store in our town. The nearest game slash hobby shop that carried gaming stuff was literally 60 miles away. Another reason that the most influential person was my older brother by five years. He was quite the Boy Scout. I mean, he literally was a Boy Scout <laughs> even got it, and even attained Eagle Scout, which is a pretty big deal, I suppose. I never made it out of Tenderfoot. Anyway. But he was a very moral person and a sensitive person, so he was not a vindictive GM or one that had it out for us. We started playing outside of our group of four guys and met other players that were like Tomb of Horrors type players and GM. They would kill off characters and kill off the whole party with BS stuff. So I think I got lucky on missing that type of gaming. 
In fact, it wasn't until only a couple of weeks ago that I played in a Call of Cthulhu game that I was involved in a TPK. I seem to have gotten away from that meta game playing and more into the storytelling gaming stuff. Brett is 50? No, I'm 45. I'm only 45. 45! Um, <laughs> Saul apparently just turned 51. For some reason, I thought you guys were at least a generation younger. By the way, I'm Saul. that started my own podcast with my wife. It's called Gaming Perspectives with Saul and Jolene. And uh, thanks for the work and entertainment you guys do for putting out this podcast. P.S. Never got that angsty game of Vampire. Maybe because it's too full of angsty living in... <laughs> Maybe because it's too hard to be full of angsty living in sunny California. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, if you, you come to the Midwest, in, uh, you know, the Chicago, Madison, Milwaukee area, where it's 20 below zero for three, four months in a row. Yeah, you get a little angsty at that point. But I'm only 45. Sean, Sean's the old guy. God knows how old Sean is. I have seen things and lived. <laughs> He's lived life. I've lived lives. I'm like a Highlander. <laughs> it could be only one, Sean Kelly. That's right. Um was born in 1592. Every time he year. finds another Sean Kelly, they have a they just they fight it out. They just throw D4s at each other until somebody loses an eye. I'll tell you what though, one thing that Sean mentions, uh the nearest gaming hobby shop that carried this gaming stuff was ne- literally 60 miles away. I was very fortunate in uh the town I grew up in Wisconsin. There were two gaming shops at one point and at least <coughs> excuse me, two gaming shops that were just dedicated gaming comics. And then there was a hobby shop that carried stuff and one or two bookstores as well. So for some reason, in my little bitty town, you could I could find stuff fairly easily. But I know that was not the case for a lot of folks um, growing up back in the day. So that does uh, that would definitely limit things. What you may or may not actually have exposure to. Right. Shall yeah. we? Yeah, let's get into the main topic. Oh boy! Yeah, let's talk about maps. Well, this kind of leads right into um, our talk about you know Tomb of Horrors and Sean talking about getting a Dwarven Forge and all that crazy shit. So, all right. So, <clears throat> Sean, and I have talked about maps a couple different times. You know, where you use theater to mind or or whatnot. I actually do recall um, playing D&D with a game master, a young lady. I cannot remember her name, but in, in uh, junior high, she was starting up a little D&D club in my neighborhood, and she wanted to make sure that we had mappers, callers, and so on and so forth. We had th- These were tasks that we had to make sure somebody in the group had. And the mapper's job was to map the goddamn dungeon out as you went through it. Um, What's interesting to me in some of this stuff is there's some real – I mean – before we get too far into it, there are some amazing maps out there right now. You get guys like Dyson Logos and the others, <clears throat> some of the stuff that's even produced now with the mainstream adventures that are published. They are freaking amazing, amazing, amazing maps. Amazing. And I, I think having a map, at least from a game master's perspective, having a map available to you is incredibly handy. Even if all you're all you're doing, quote unquote, is theater of the mind or rough sketches on a piece of you know packing paper or something. Having the detailed map, having a real to scale perspective as the the lore keeper, game master, whatever you want to call yourself, it really helps you give better descriptions and understand what is the party's going into or up against or what they're going through. Even in your sci-fi game, you want to understand what the you know space station looks like, what's what, what's where. It really helps quite a bit. Um, 
Sean, do you like how detailed do you like your maps as a game master? If you're if you're <coughs> excuse me, you open up a book like um I don't know, Curse of Strahd. It's got some amazingly cool maps of Castle Ravenloft and so forth. Do you as a game master find that stuff just neat eye candy or how do you prefer your maps, I guess, as a GM? What do you think? I like my maps pretty detailed if I'm going to if I'm going to run a game. So, one so of the, does detail equal pretty? Um, Graphically pleasing? Well, okay. Question back at you is, are you talking about the maps that I'm using to run the game or yes. the maps that I would present to players? The maps you're using to run the game. Just want to talk. As a game master, you're looking at your prep, either the pre-generated thing, which you run a lot of pre-gens, or the thing that you may have created yourself. Do you like to have a lot of detail and does detail equal gorgeous? Um, I like to have them look appealing. I, I'm not a big chicken scratch mapper person. So if somebody just kind of drew it out, I mean, I guess there, if it coincided with the look and feel of the book and campaign and that's kind of the. So if they, it was like the goblin children uh, had drawn in, you know, charcoal crayon where the bad frog lived in the swamp, you'd be cool with that because it's totally part of the adventure. Right. Yes. But when you see Strahd's castle in Barovia, you'd prefer an actual really kick-ass looking gothic map. Yes. Now, part of that also has to do with room descriptions and figuring Ah, out what exactly the hell they're talking about when they're going, well, on the east wall, which is, you know, the east wall is, I don't know, 50 feet long. There is this. Okay, is that in the middle of the wall, on the end of the wall, and where, like, and it's, you know, going to this or that. So nice physical representation, a decent detailed map with that type of thing physically drawn on it. Ah, yes, that looks like a little squiggly line, which indicates where the tapestry is. Oh, that's a um, nicely hand-drawn altar, so I can see where that is. Oh, that's where the the computer is in this section of the spaceport or whatever. Right. Yeah, you approach the altar – there's a dais. Oh, and on each side of the dais is a candelabra with five candles. And then in the corners of the same wall, there are this and that. So then you're kind of like, oh, so are the candelabras? Oh, and there's a throne behind the dais. So are the candelabras to the left and right of the throne? And okay, I guess that's good to know. So where is it on the map? Does it need to be on the map? Yeah. So if it's physically there, it makes... Well, one, your your descriptions become easier if anybody's drawing it or if you're sketching it out for the players. <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah, damn. Um, that becomes easier for you. That makes sense. You know, the other thing I have found that I like is those kick-ass fantasy maps are in those books. They're really cool stuff. And Dyson Logos, I mean, I'll call him out again. He does just amazing work. And you look at this. There's something very evocative as a game master when you see the map and how it's drawn and the information that the the map visibly gives to you, it's this wonderful graphic illustration. If it's done really, really well, it is much more evocative than, in, to, to me anyway, than some of the old blue and white maps from ages back in the old modules. They're very, very simple, you know, 10 foot squares or whatever the case is. Something a little more evocative with, with better graphics. Um, I don't know. It's just, it's really neat. It just kind of... It sets a stage. It's a feeling, you and and so on. So I, I think there's something pretty cool about that. But that's good for the <laughs> game master. 
Yeah. I think MAMPs have evolved for sure. I mean, well, there's... Well, the now, I'm, not, I'm not just saying evolved. I'm just saying it's it's now part of the whole experience, right? You read the book and you've got a really kick-ass looking map that's tone and graphics matches the rest of the adventure. It's not like a jarring thing. Right. You know what I'm saying? All the art and everything's tied together. <clears throat> um, do you, as a game master, do you have, do you draw the maps for your players or do the players draw the maps themselves? Well, if it's not a tactical game and it's theater of the mind, if it is tactical, then I will draw the map in front of them as they go. Okay. Right. If they're, we're going to, you come to this intersection, let me draw this out. Or if it's something I have to display because it, to give them an understanding of like where everything is at, then I will just sketch it out on a notepad, piece of paper, throw it out on the front, say, okay, here's where you're going. So when I ran Lost Mine of Fandelver at that conference a few months in August, they were entering a cave. So I had to kind of draw it out a little bit and say, okay, here is where you guys are. Here is where you hear everything else because then it, they can get an understanding of positioning, even though it's not based on, well, how far am I? Do I can I move to get there? You know, all that was kind of theater of the mind. So it just helps a little bit get their bearing. You know, I'll tell you what, the other thing that happens is when the game master writes down, he or she says, Hey, guess what? Here's the deal. And they sketch out. I mean, I did this at uh, Queen City Conquest. I drew a very rough sketch of what the hospital looked like for my uh, trailer Cthulhu game. When the game master draws it, they're like, oh, this is what it really looks like. This is a real representation. Honestly, my art skills suck. But like, oh, this is real. What Brett is drawing right now, what Sean is drawing right now, this is a real representation of what it's supposed to look like. Um, it, <clears throat> have you ever used a mapper? I guess I'll ask you that. Have you ever had it, had someone in your group try the whole mapper role? Have you ever done that? I've asked people to do that. Like, well, I will say, hey, is anybody going to, Map out how they're going or where they're going or where they've been. I mean, because if they... Do you ever hold the line and say, oh, too fucking bad. You didn't bother to map too bad. Well, I think it's based on the situation because it may the map may not matter. What always happened in my high school game was somebody would say they're going to do mapping. Draw, draw, draw. Schaefer says, hey, the room is now 10 by 10 by here, by here. What, what wall is that? Okay. Well, that's, that can't be because it matches on this other wall. And they have to, oh, fine, give me that map. Scratch, scratch, scratch. Here, that's what it looks like. So we always had this back. So the mapper job was basically another person to argue with the game master in high school is all it was. Um, <clears throat> but do you, have you ever had a mapper in a group like that? Oh, back in the day. No, even now, do you, does anybody do it? Um. If they do, it's more voluntary by them that they'd like want to do that. I don't, I don't say who's going to be mapping. I may ask, like, is anybody mapping? Some may just take it upon themselves. Like I'm barred and I map. I have played with uh, a couple of grognards back in the day when we were going through. And I remember distinctly sitting at Boyd's table and somebody said, do we have a map? And he goes, I figured one of you is paying attention. And that was it. If you didn't pay attention, you didn't draw a map. Good luck getting out of this shithole. I mean, that was that was tough. <laughs> Lucky for me, I'd played with Boyd before, so I had a little pencil sketch of conceptually where we were headed. I think it's interesting that it used to be 
critical that the players map their own progress and drew their own thing, right? We talked about this a little bit back with the um, with the West Marches type of game, where you kind of encourage people to have half drawn maps or you know things that they think are kind of sort of right or whatever it is. And I don't know if it's just me, but I feel that it's become more and more. Maybe because as D and D and different things like that became more tactical. Or maybe it's just always been this way. I don't know. But it feels more and more that I, when I'm running, am expected to produce any visualizations, you know, of the room itself. <clears throat> if I say, look, it's 10 by 10 room, come, you know, it's five feet off on either side. It goes this far in and that far. And there's this and this and this. Somebody will look at me and go, well, can you just draw it? I'm like, I just gave you a description. Why don't you draw it? Would be the old school answer, you know, back in the day. But I think that's <clears throat> it's so much faster and easier if I scroll it out for them. So I'm just going to do it. Is that what you find yourself doing as well? I could see I could see doing that. I don't think it's a wrong or better or worse way. No, I just it's just kind of an observation more than anything else. I don't think it's wrong or right. <clears throat> what I think is interesting though is when you go from this really kick ass. I have the, uh, this amazing Dyson logos map. It just looks really cool. I'm going to run this adventure, and then I transform that into Brett's really shitty on whiteboard <clears throat> marker it out. Yeah, it looks kind of sort of like this. <laughs> or even if I'm using it a one-inch hex or one-inch grid or whatever I'm using and trying to draw it out, it never looks as good when it's been reproduced. Which every once in a while I do that and I think, why did I, <laughs> apart from the wonderful aesthetics and the potential detail and in, in, you know in, invest investing more in the adventure itself, I'm like, that's when I, I flash back to the old blue and white um, uh, maps in the old uh, D&D and AD&D module. Like, that totally worked fine. It was very cut and dried. It went straight in 10 feet. It cut to the right 10 feet. It went back up and did this, and the room was the hex. That's how you drew it. And <laughs> Because by the time it, it goes from wonderful artisanal mapping and cartography down to Brett's really shitty scrawl on one-inch you know grid paper on the, on the tabletop. I... <laughs> I've never been able to <coughs> excuse me I strike that I should say up until recently I've yet to be able to actually take the maps themselves and transition them into face-to-face -face tabletop play. Well, roll 20 or a platform like that you can because you could put maps on and use fog of war and other cool things like that. My buddy Alpha in his game room has actually put up an overhead projector which we can now splash on a whiteboard. And so everybody can see it. You can, and the map will go on there, and you can blank stuff out. It's, it's really cool. It's got a great setup. But generally speaking, in most face-to-face -face play, the really sexy cool map is useless <laughs> from its sexy cool perspective. It does nothing to enhance gameplay because nobody ever sees it. No one ever sees it. Hmm. That's all you have to say about that. Just, uh, just uh, what you? you how, how do you do it? Do you bring the map out? Do you print it out and like? put sticky notes on it or something or well um i have but even even with player maps so the tomb of annihilation they came out with a map pack that was done in vinyl like you could buy it and you roll it out and it's done in done on vinyl <laughs> and you can do uh wet erase markers on it and you know it's it's blanked out kind of in the middle of the island, mm -hmm. but it's a hex crawl. So I roll that out onto the table. It's not very big. It's maybe 
I don't know if it's three by two. Um, that may even be larger than I anticipated, but I put that on the table and go, all right, here's, here's the map that you have and know. And then the, the middle part, that's all beige, which is in the back of the book. You can yank it out of the book and throw it down. It's in paper. That's the, um, I give them as that as an outdoor map. So they have some type of direction, but as they go, I'm keeping track of whether or not they get lost. And then of course their argument is like, we follow the river. How do we get lost if we just follow the river? Sure. Okay, I can follow, tell you this. Follow the, follow the Mississippi River, mother motor scooter, and tell oh, me I've, you, I've, you're not going to get lost. I've got a story for you. So my dad in the woods in Upper Michigan, ages back, following the river. Our hunting partner, Albert, says, look, Ron, if you get down there and you cross the Shane, which is a little creek, if you cross the Shane, you've gone too far. Okay. <clears throat> got it. Dad goes down, follow, follow, follow. He goes... I can walk across. I can step across this. This clearly isn't the Shane. Right. This has to be just a runoff. Right. Oh, no, it's not. No, that's the Shane. That's the Shane. It just comes really <laughs> narrow right here. So dad steps over it. Six hours later, he yeah. finds a road and then gets a guy to drive him back to camp. He's fucking lost. Yeah. Albert kids catches dad's tracks. Dad's a big dude like me. He said, I could tell your dad was starting to panic when if it wasn't two inches around from a tree perspective, he just knocked it down. It had to be bigger than two inches. Otherwise, he just knocked it down and kept he because dad knew that if you go straight east, you catch a road. So he said, fuck it. Slung his rifle, unloaded, slung his rifle, said, I'm going east till I find a road and knock shit down. <laughs> He's like, this yeah. just birds right through a the woods. Straight direction in the wilderness is never gonna be oh, it's hard. a beaten path. No, it is hard to do. It is hard to do. Yeah. I uh my son and I hunting. Now where he can't see deer, apparently. <laughs> I've got a, I've got this, AJ. I've got this wonderful map that the landowner has given me, and he's an ex uh, DNR biologist, so he's got trails and tree stands. It's this wonderful property of 230 acres. It's an amazing place to hang out. Just if you just love nature and want to walk around, it's just wonderful. And you go up there, and AJ's like, "Where are we?" I'm like, "Well, I've got my phone has a wonderful GPS app on it." called Onyx. So I'm on this thing. Oh, here's where I am. I can look at the map and I say, oh, I'm right here. And he's just like, yeah, but he has the tree stand here and it's off. It looks like it's off by, and he looks at the little scale, like hundreds of feet. I'm like, yeah, but this has got to be it. We walk down like, no, maybe that's the tree stand and not this one. Well, the first one we saw was an old one that was no longer in use. And the landowner's like, I don't count that one. I only count the ones I use. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> so even if the map is drawn by hand, like, oh, it's easy. You just go here, here, here. It's super simple. You can't you can't miss it. It's on the back of a grocery sack. You'll be fine. Follow that map. <laughs> People get lost on maps all the time, which is why, you know, they invented GPS to talk at you to tell you where to turn because people get lost all the time, even with perfectly good maps. So the military and the army, and you go to... It used to be called PLDC. I think they changed it now. So it used to be primary leadership development course and they've changed the name to it. But in order to become a sergeant, you got to go to this course. Orienteering? What, huh? Orienteering? Or, yeah, basically. Yeah. I mean, you, you go out and part of the rigmarole is a navigation, map map reading. And so you they teach you how to read a map even more than you do in basic training. And then your goal, like you are the head of a squad and you're given an objective and a map and you've got a compass and you're like, okay, 
And so you're out in the training grounds, which isn't road, 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 right? Cause it's the training grounds. And they say, okay, you need to get to this rendezvous in whatever time. And, uh, that counts towards your kind of course. And, uh, I mean, you, if you fail, uh, that and some other things, you, you fail the overall course and then you don't get, you know, potentially promoted. But the thing that'll screw you up is one, if you can't recognize things on a map and two, if there's multiple things like Brett goes like, well, there's a deer stand and there's a deer stand and they're both within a hundred feet of each other. And you've got one map that says deer stand on it. Which one's which? Which one the hell are you referring to? Oh, and the other, and you know, when somebody marks a major thing that local knowledge is the Shane Creek runs like this and everybody knows that the Shane narrows down to about six inches wide at one point and then opens up to a huge beaver pond set like three beaver ponds in a row and you good luck swimming across it type right. of thing. Well, if you don't know that because yeah. you're not from there, everyone goes, oh yeah, just go on the old Wilford place and hang a left at the, at the first Brown cow, <laughs> that type of direction. Right. <clears throat> so apart from the, the interesting bits about, you know, how we draw maps, how the maps actually translate to the table itself is there is this wonderful false sense of security that players have. Yes. Once they're given a map. And I think what Sean and I are saying is mess with your players maps <laughs> because I, <coughs> I love, I love Doug Kovacs as a, as an artist and he's just a cool, crazy dude. <clears throat> I love him. DCC guy. And Kovacs, his maps are these wonderful, very, they have that feeling to me. Nothing is drawn to scale. Like, look, you know, demon pit here, standing stones here, up here is this, and beware the Valkyries. You're like, I have no idea what that means, but it must be up there. You know you're there because there's something trying to eat you, right? That's that's how you realize you're you're at the place. But not, I mean, your fantasy map is not going to be one inch equals X number of miles. That's not going to happen. If it's drawn locally, it's going to have colloquialisms and other things that are common knowledge to everybody else, probably not so much to you. And even if it's a modern map that's drawn for you, and how many people have used a different, you know, a non-Google app or something, and it's wrong. That was one of the complaints <laughs> of Apple Maps at one point. Oh, if you use the Apple map, it would send you to the ocean when you're supposed to take a turn. It's wrong. Mistakes are made, Right. <laughs> and it's commonplace enough that it's it's a bit of a joke, but people can't read maps or aren't used to reading them, especially under pressure, right? As you're saying in, in – my assumption is in the training that you're talking about, you don't have like three weeks in a day to figure out how to read the map. You've got to get it done within a time period, right? Well, you go over map, you go over terrain. So you know what a draw is and a spur and a hilltop. So if you don't even – lines. If you don't know what a draw, a spur, and a hog's back is, you're like, what's a hog's back? It's a ridge that looks like the back of a pig. Right. Well, is that one? No, that's not a hog's back. That's just a ridge. Right. What's the fucking difference? Oh, it's a big difference if you're in certain parts of the country, right? It's a big well, you're difference. Well, you're trying to read a two-dimensional thing that's flat, and you're yeah. standing in a three-dimensional world. Oh, it's got goes- contour lines. It's fine. It's fine. It's got contour lines. So do you go up? Is this down or up? Like, oh, oh, oh. Just go down to the holler. What's a holler? A holler. It's a a holler. It's down there. 
I mean, a valley is a valley a holler or is that a hollow? Is a hollow different than a holler? This is All our that. this is our way of saying when players are like, "Well, it should really be easy. I've got a map here. That's why those survival checks come in handy. And if they don't succeed." They could think they're following that map all day long, but they're going to end up in the freaking boondocks. Like they're going to wake up at a, and the thing is, is following a river. You think you're following the river until that the sucker hits a tributary or something. And then you're like, wait a minute. Yeah. The, if, the, the river went off in the other direction, but you're following this little whack ass Creek. Yeah. It forks for whatever yeah. reason. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the other thing that's interesting too, is and what I like to do, Whenever I've given the players a map, say, hey, this is the map that you've been given, you know, the the treasure map you find or whatever it is that they've got. I strongly encourage them to mark it up. I never give them a map that I expect to get back in pristine condition. Sure. You know, that's good. Yeah. And the reason I do that is because when they go along, they will redraw the river. No, the goddamn thing. There's a pond here. Oh, this is a swamp. <laughs> These squiggly lines mean swamp. W S. You know, they, you know, S W. Sorry, can't spell. But they'll write swamp. Oh my god. You know, forest, undead something. You know, because the the things that were drawn on the map, and again, depending when the map was made for you in a fantasy realm, <clears throat> Christ, the map could have been made a hundred years ago because it's fantasy and you know whatever. I think hundreds and thousands of years old. But the map could be very ancient. It could be very new. Think Indiana Jones. Where the hell is the Well of the Souls? He's got the map room. He's got the map room. You got to find the map room first, and you got to find <laughs> a thing, read the thing, both sides of the thing, stick it on, you know, spoilers, and figure <laughs> figure this out. It's tricky. And um, <clears throat> so I guess it's really, it's interesting because um, it, when people pull the, how hard could it be I have a map, I love to pull out the real world. The real world examples, like my dad getting lost. I've been turned around. It's fucking terrifying, by the way. If you've ever been lost in the woods, you have no idea where you are. It is not a good yeah. feeling. You can walk a long ways and you lose your sense very quickly and it can be very desperate. Yes. Especially, I mean. There are <laughs> there are sto- there are stories. DNR agents will tell you the stories where you're looking for a lost individual. You find their clothes, their pack their gun, their boots, and eventually the person. They get hot and frustrated and tired and scared, and they don't want to carry this anymore, and they start shedding gear. This is a common thing. It's weird as hell. People shed equipment. So I actually did that once in a D&D game where the characters found found a trail of weird stuff laid down, and it led to a group of people who were dead because they just had been lost, you know? Shoot a chainmail. What's that? A shield. What? Why? Why would you? Why would you throw your shield away? That doesn't make any sense. Well, person got lost and panicked and did stupid ass shit. <clears throat> and he, again, as I say, even in a modern setting, or um, I remember watching parts of Star Wars and Star Trek, and part of the the adventure is you're going places where no one has been before, and it's charted to a point. There's only so much data. Somebody has to go there and get the thing. You have to go there and figure out how this thing is laid out and sorted out. So now that said, now that's interesting when we're talking overland maps and so forth. So, Sean, when you're drawing a tactical map for your players, are you – how detailed do you want to get? Do you like so, to go, mm-hmm. uh, you know, one inch square equals five feet? Do you want squares on the map or to scale? How do you do it? Yeah, usually if it's a – Room, dungeon, crawl, it's 
you know, standard five feet, unless it's big, unless it's a real big place. Okay. Then you might be doing 10 or 20 feet per square, but that's usually a rarity. But you're going to tell that to the players, right? Hey, each square equals 20 feet or each square equals 10 feet. Yeah, I would tell them that. Yeah. And then if it's not theater of the mind, then the map comes in a little bit more handier, but otherwise maybe a rough outline just to give them an idea. Like this is where this is at in conjunction with this. Here's kind of what it looks like. Oh, okay. Because sometimes it gets confusing. It's like, well, you you said there's a path that goes, that's elevated five feet. And then there's one that goes underneath it to the west. So we're standing on the east. So how is that? Look, what does that look like? Well, even in my Trail of Cthulhu game, as I was saying at, at QCC, it's it takes place in a hospital. I want to make sure that there's a center area, two wing, a wing that goes to the left, to the right, it's two stories high. And there's a basement off on the one side. And just drawing where those things are so people understand, okay, I walked in here. Where does that go? The stairs are here. The elevators are here. Oh, okay. It's that elevator, not this one. Got it. Ding, ding. Then up they go right. and do, do their thing. So I think <clears throat> when you're drawing something, that was, again, that was very sketchy. That wasn't to scale or anything, but it was much more tactical than directional. Right. And a tactical map has to be, there's a level of accuracy that you have to have. I do a thing where I'm playing... Um, where I don't use five foot squares, but I want minis. So mm-hmm. I'll use um, brown packing paper, kind of butcher paper you look, and I'll just draw it out. We'll move miniatures. Can I go from here to here? And I'm like, yes, that's about 30 feet. Yes, you can get there. Under- <clears throat> What's your movement? Yes, you can close the distance. Yes, you can do that. And I run it a little looser to kind of speed play, especially at tournaments or not tournaments, excuse me, conventions. And uh, when I have played with my son, AJ, and his friends, they don't really care so much for counting squares. They just want to move and do different pieces. <clears throat> so I, I I make sure that there's a level of um, level of honesty, <laughs> I guess is a good way to put it. You know, it's well, obviously you don't draw all the traps if there's something hidden or they don't see type of thing. But the idea is if you're drawing it out there, it's real, right? Especially in a tactical scenario. When I drew that map for Trailer Cthulhu, if there was – you know, five janitors or a janitor station or a closet door or 16 different cell doors for patients. I didn't draw all of that because it didn't matter. When they went down the hall, I said, okay, are there other doors? Yes, there's a door here, 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 here. There's about 20 patients' rooms and this, this, and this. Okay, great. That's fine. That's all they needed to know. Is there a door leading outside? Yes, that's what this, that's what this is. You know, <clears throat> but there has to be a level of honesty that goes in it. You really can't <laughs> As we were talking with the Overland maps, where that what do you mean Shane Creek turns into Hobbs Hobbs Creek and turns back into whatever? It's a it's a subtle by gun, you know. <clears throat> there's a level of dishonesty that can happen in such a sketch, as opposed to a tactical. Here's where the here's where the action's happening type of map. Yeah, <sighs> maps are actually kind of interesting. I kind of we didn't even get into isometric maps. Oh Jesus! Have you ever no. used? Have you ever used an isometric map? Raven, Ravenloft, baby. Well, yeah, but I always they end up being represented as two D on a page. Well, yeah. I how else would an isometric map be? I mean, it's two D, but it's not really because it's you could see the levels and how they're connected. Yeah, I get that. I've got some isometric gaming paper. I want to. Do some isometric maps. Yes, I have a. You got me a cop. You got me a bunch of that too. I've got a. Uh, I got a tube of that. I need to work with. Oh, the tube. Yeah, I don't. 
I think I have a tube of it as well, but I got the also eight and a half by 11 sheets that allow you to do that. You could do it on regular squares. Yes, but, you can. You know, you just have to get the diagonals right. It can be a little tricky, but yeah, I think they're cool. I think isometric maps are super sweet. All right. Sorry. <coughs> Sorry. So are we done with maps? I think we're good with maps, man. Let's move on. Oh, obviously somebody else out there knows maps better than we do. And there's probably besides isometric and other components of it, pieces we haven't touched. I think we just kind of glossed over bits and pieces of map and cartography. So if there's more specific pieces of maps, people would like us to talk about or want to uh, dish about or whatnot, write in, call in, email us, let us know what you're thinking. And uh, we'll take a tat. We'll take a stab at it. Yeah. You know the deal. Die roll, baby. Okay, I got a few this week. Netflix is developing adaptations of the chronic what coals of Narnia. I also heard they're doing uh, Wheel of Time. Oh. I don't know if it's Netflix, but I heard Wheel of Time is going out there. You know what? While you're talking, I'm going to see if I can find it. Wheel of Time. Robert Jordan. Wheel yeah, of time. that... That'll be incredibly stretch, long, you boring. Stretch that out painful. to a few seasons. I am not a fan. No, no. Oh okay. my god! I got through book one, and I wanted to uh, light every character in there on fire. And by halfway through book two, I'm like, I don't have to read this. I don't have to do this to myself. And I got and I put it wow. down. Oh well, hey, all the uh, Robert Jordan fans, uh, there you go. <laughs> Jeff, no. Brett's not applying for uh, membership anytime soon. Not in the clone. No, not in the club. Anyway, <laughs> no. clone, clone. Good God, I can't talk. Anyway, just not a fan of that. Anywho, what Dice, else you got? Dyson Logos does ma- good maps. Oh, so hell yeah. Dyson is on Facebook, Google+. Plus. We'll have a link to um, Dyson's blog, Patreon, and Google Plus accounts in the show notes. Um. Did an awesome one for his Caves of Chaos. You can get that. Um, he's Some of his uh, stuff has shown up in official Wizards of the Coast stuff to include the recent uh, Dragon Heist uh, adventure. Uh, then the next one is Christopher West. So if you are a fan of Pathfinder or I think even some Star Wars saga and roll, uh, uh, D20 Revised edition, uh, Christopher did some maps. So his Maps of Mastery website is his official website where you can get even even maps that aren't fantasy related. They could be science fiction um, based. Check those out. Mike Schley, if you're you're dealing with D&D, then you've seen Mike Schley's work. So he's done a ton of 5e related maps. And he can sell them straight off of his website. He has the Tomb of Annihilation map pack um, that you can buy off the website. So it's easy to go on Google and just like pull them off. But, um, you know, if you want to support some of the creative artists out there, we encourage you to do so. Mike has his stuff out there. Um, again, a lot of stuff for, for D&D based. And then Devin Rue, the mistress of maps. I think we've brought up Devin before. I think I brought her up because I saw a map she was doing on Twitter. So another link to Devin's website, Mistress of Maps. Uh, All good stuff. And I'm sure we're missing plenty of other people. Um, So if you want to suggest somebody that's done some really cool cartography and map making, let us know. We'll obviously give them a shout out. 
And then lastly, we'll put in um, Saul's web um, podcast. So Gaming Perspectives with Saul and Jolin. Um, We have a link to their podcast. Good job, Saul, in marketing that, man. Getting it to us. I did have one. I completely forgot to put it in there, but I'll I'll call that. So uh, Evil Hat uh, Productions, uh, Fate, and so forth, they had... um, They've had to had to do some changes, and <clears throat> I like what they've. So a little link in the show notes I'll put in there. Basically, they've um, done some staffing changes and changed some of the stuff that they some releases and so on. Essentially, it looks like they're making cuts. Oh, and um, it's not the end of the day type of thing. Like, I, obviously, if you're getting let go from Evil Hat and that was a job or career, that sucks. And you know that that that's terrible. No one likes to get lose their job type of thing. But um, I think it's interesting when a, a company. Like Evil Hat is this forthright saying, hey, look, we ran into a thing, you know, problems, pain, we can't do this. Maybe we got a little too big for ourselves. We're going to have to make some cuts or do whatever. So anyway, I thought it was interesting. And I will put that little link in the show notes for folks as well. Yeah, well, you know, sometimes uh, gaming is business. And, oh, it absolutely is. You yeah, know, I mean, Deadly Friendly's got to run a, he's got to run a business, man. People got to eat. Yep. All right. Oh, uh, what are we talking about next week, Brett? Oh, what the hell are we going to talk about? Oh, my God. This is a week where I didn't have myself completely together. So, hmm, hmm, hmm. I am not sure. Sean, Sean I'm going to ask you right now in front of God and everybody, do you have anything you want to talk about? Man, you've I got lean, so You've much been leaning to, so heavy on me. What do you got? I hey? got so much to talk about, dude. Um, You know, I'm trying to think of something right off the cuff. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Now you're downsize. Should we talk about downsizing collections? Stop thinking. You're selling a bunch of crap right now. I am selling some of my stuff because it's sitting on a table that I need. It's a really small table, but it's it's like I don't I want to put something on there that <laughs> that'll <needs> actually use. <laughs> to, yes. So I got I'm unloading some stuff, but by the time people listen to this, it's you know some of it might be gone. But yeah, I don't know. I'm down. Ah, it's just. Stuff I'm not going to play or I've played and don't plan on playing again. And, and if it does come up, then I'll buy a PDF or I'll buy the book again. But I just, it's taken up space and I got to free it up for other things. Hmm. Okay. So it's not, not a ton, honestly. Well, maybe, maybe we'll do that. I don't know. Downsizing? Or the other thing I was thinking about, because I've been, hmm. Oh, that's too much. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. That's the answer. I don't know. We'll talk about something next time. I swear to God. Promise. Cursed items. Oh, my God. Cursed items. Cursed items. Done. Oh, look at that, ladies and gentlemen. Cursed Cursed items. Cursed items. Bold. Cursive. There we go. Done. I don't think think I've used cursed items in a long time. (laughs) Oh, good stuff. Those are some of my favorite things to use. Cursed items. Next up. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, see, this has been another episode of Gaming NBS. I'm Sean. And I'm Brett. Good night and good game and all. This episode of Gaming NBS brought to you with the help from the following BSers. Joe Swick, Brett's biggest fan, Forrest Aguirre, Mark Anthony Benedetti, Sean Nicholson, Tim Jensen, Remy Bilodeau, Jason Hobbs, Wayne Humphrey, James Carpio, Pure Mongrel, Lord Tentacle, Corey Johnson, Brandon Barnes, Dan LaValle, C.W. Mellencant, Lost Sailor, Misdirected Mark Productions, Christopher Gray, Finolf, Mirko Froelich, Eileen Barnes, Tony Sugarloaf Baker, Todd Crapper, Alexander Auerbach, Neil Benson, Chris Steele, Eric Hoffman, Kyle Winter, Christopher Lang, Curtis Takahashi, 
Mark Tasaka, Larry Hout, Ray Otis, Ron Bishop, Craig Huber, Xavier G, JV, John Hammersley, Closet Gamer, John Steve, Mark Richmond, Thomas Hook, Chad Glayman, Sky, Roger Brasslett, Craig, Howard Bishop, Jim Fitzpatrick, Peter Skeins, Josh Wallace, Corey Welch, Eli Kurtz, Edwin Nagy, Bruce Cunnington, Tim Shorts, Angus, Rolfer Guild, Gordon Cranford, Eric Salzweedle, Matt Cyberlick, Jack Neller, Robert Nemeth, Eric Bonds, Palladian, Ron Blessing, Brian Kurtz, Knights of the Night Crew, Laramie Wall, Kevin Lovecraft, Evan Harrison Cass, Malcolm Cool, Blake Ryan, Jared Rasher, and Todd McGowan. For ways to support the show, head over to gamingnbs.com forward slash support dash us. Thanks, BSers! This has been a Litterbox Studio production. production.